We're going to be picking back up this morning in our series on the book of Colossians. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2. And you'll remember whenever I'm before you, we're going to be picking up just wherever we left off in this book of Colossians together. Well, in the early 2000s, I got to grow up with the perfect Spider-Man movies. And of course, I'm talking about the Tobey Maguire ones. And I've I've always been bitter about the fact that so soon after these movies were released, they released another set of Spider-Man movies. And to me, you know, the Tobey Maguire ones were perfect. That was perfection. And I resent the implication that it could be improved upon by releasing a new set of Spider-Man movies with a different Spider-Man. So I've never had any interest in seeing these new movies. So because... To suggest that there is something that could be improved upon is to suggest that there was something lacking in the original. That is, to try to add something to what's already perfect implies that you don't think it's perfect. Now, I say all this to remind us of the situation that's going on in Colossae. This is a church that has gotten off to a good start, but now they're at risk of being led astray by false teachers, false teachers who are suggesting that you need to add something else to your walk with Christ to really be experiencing fullness. You need to progress beyond faith in Christ to go from the shallow end of the pool to the deep end of the pool of the deep things of God. And Paul won't have it. He resents the implication that you need to add something to Christ or you need to go beyond Christ for growth. He is already the perfect Lord, the perfect Savior. If you have Christ, you have it all. You have perfection. Don't add add anything to Christ. That's the message of Colossians. Rather, walk in him. Realize more and more what it means that he has loved you and he has given himself for you. That's where growth is found. And so we're going to read our passage now. Colossians chapter 2, starting in... Verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Let's pray together as we consider God's Word. Heavenly Father, 
We look to your own promise about your word, that the unfolding of your word gives light. We pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to help us see the beauty of your Son, Jesus Christ. This we ask in his name. Amen. The golf swing, I don't know if you know this by experience, is an amazingly complex thing and a very frustrating thing. And Golf Magazine, if you've ever read it, is full of tips to fix your golf swing. And often the headlines in Golf Magazine are are a lot like the false teacher's marketing campaign in Colossae. It says something like, implement this new thing and revolutionize your swing. But I recently saw an article in Golf Magazine by Jack Nicklaus. So Jack is easily the greatest golfer of all time with the most career major wins uh, with 18 wins. And so no one swung the golf club more purely with more consistency throughout his career than him. And so he shares in this article what perhaps is the key to his long-term success. And that's in the winter, he would go back home to his family in Ohio And he'd actually put his golf clubs in the closet. And he'd rest and he'd enjoy his family. And when it came time to pick them back up, his coach, Jack Grout, would come over and treat him like a beginner in golf and say something like, okay, Jackie boy, this is a golf club. This is how you grip the golf club. This is how your stance needs to be. This is where you need to place the ball in your stance. Now, if you were to do that to a pro golfer today, they'd probably be insulted. But Jack would humble himself and embrace his coach's philosophy that so much of the golf swing depended on these basic fundamentals. That the more purely you can master those principles, the more purely you'll swing and the more consistent you'll be. So this is Paul's coaching advice for living the Christian life. Growth in the Christian life, Paul says, is always humbly learning and relearning these basic but bottomless truths, these principles of God's grace towards us in Jesus Christ. So no matter, no matter what length of time you end up walking with Christ, you're always coming back to this basis for your life. Christ Jesus died for me a sinner. Like, we we never get over that fact. And the more you rest in that, the more you deepen your delight in all that he's done for you, the more that you live in consistency with what he's already declared you to be, holy, righteous, a beloved child of God. The more you do that, the more you'll grow in him. And so, our main point to consider this morning is this. Walk in the same way you started. Walk in the same way you started, which is by grace through faith in Christ. So we'll look at this under three points. First, how you start. Second, how you walk. And third, where to look. So first, how you start. Look with me again in verse 6. It says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So Paul is saying that this little principle of how you received Christ is the same principle for how you walk in him, how you live the Christian life. So we have to ask the question, how did you receive Christ? How did you become a Christian? You may have grown up in the church, always surrounded 
by the gospel and the gospel teaching, or you may have grown up living the wildlife. But no matter who you are, if you've received Christ Jesus, the Lord, it was an act of God's grace. Verse 13 says, though you were dead in your sin, God made you alive together with Christ. He is the one who opened up your blind eyes to see your sin, to despair of fixing yourself, of self-salvation, of looking to other false saviors. And he opened your eyes to see Jesus Christ as he is freely offered to you in the gospel. He opened your eyes to see Jesus' eagerness to receive you and to make you new when you embrace him by faith. You see, you, you always enter by grace through faith in Christ. So Paul's logic and the, and the logic of the Christian life is you received Christ by faith. You received Christ by grace. So walk in that. Walk by faith. Walk by grace. Don't walk according to your own works or performance. You, you receive Christ on the sole basis of what Christ did for you. Therefore, walk on the basis of what Christ has done for you. So we have to say we, we all need a coach in our life like Paul or like Jack Grout to, to just stop us, interrupt us in the middle of our day and say, you know, I know this sounds elementary, but, but let me see your grip. Let, let me see your stance. Are, are you consistently walking with how you started? Are you living, are you living like you've been forgiven in Christ? Are you living like you already have the smile of God beaming on you because of what Jesus has done for you? Or are you living like your performance determines if God likes you? We need to remember how you started, and that will help us learn how to walk. That brings us to our second point. How do we walk? We're to walk in the same way that we received Christ. And Paul helpfully illustrates this point to us in verse 7. And he gives us four pictures here. He says, So walk in him, being rooted, being built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing in thanksgiving. So we'll look at each of these pictures in turn. First, we're rooted in him. The Greek literally says, walk in him, being rooted in him. So that's a to get kind of nerdy with the, with the Greek. It's, it's a passive verb. It's implying that, that you didn't plant yourself, that someone else rooted you. And the reason that you are now receiving new life and growing is because you've been planted in good life-giving soil and you belong to a good gardener. You're like the tree that we read about in Psalm 1. He has planted you by streams of living water. But... Our hearts, because of remaining sin, are prone to think that the, we're always prone to think that the grass is greener somewhere else. Instead of sinking our roots down in this life-giving soil in our identity in Christ, we want to send our roots over to some different soil. Or to put it another way, I heard one pastor put it like this: Our hearts are like those grocery store carts. You know, you, you're in a hurry, you run to the grocery store, you pick up a cart. And you start pushing it, and it's one of those carts that just steers hard to the left. It pulls hard to the left. And he says, that's a picture of our hearts. On the one hand, Christ is with us. He's leading and guiding us and pushing us straight. But at the same time, our sinful hearts are pulling hard to the left. 
and you have to fight it the whole time. So till the day that we go to be with the Lord, we will always have to fight this self-centered tug, this, this tendency to pull to the left, to think that the grass is always greener somewhere else. But God's word is calling us to resist that, to fight that, to send our roots further down into our identity in Christ, to, to rejoice, to rest, to take life from being planted in Christ. So let me ask you, <clears throat> are you growing? Are you rooted? You know, the false teachers had a, a very more attractive marketing campaign than Paul did. We can just admit it. They were offering growth without rootedness. You, you know, you can restlessly jump from one soil, one source of life to another. But Paul's message is clear. There is no growth possible without being rooted in Christ. There's no shortcut. Yes, that, that sounds boring. But the ordinary way that God grows his people is by his ordinary means of grace. By physically gathering for corporate worship. By hearing God's word preached. By reading his word. By prayer. By fellowship with other believers. By the sacraments. These are, these are the ways that God grows his people in grace. And could it be that your growth is stunted because you're not rooted? Could it be that you've hopped around from church to church, town to town, friend group to friend group, weekend trip to weekend trip, organized sport to organized sport, green grass to green grass, and you've not given yourself the opportunity to be rooted in Christ, to receive the nutrients that are found in him? And I wonder just how much healthier and happier we'd all be if we just took God at his word about the, the boring but normal ways that he grows us up in his grace. So that's the first metaphor. Be rooted in Christ. Be fixed in Christ. The second metaphor for our walk that he uses is be built up in him. It's, it's more progressive. It's growing. Be built up in him. We're like a construction site. We're like a work in progress but we're not yet this glorious finished product. But what's cool about this picture is you can start, you know, with a, a work in progress, you can start to see what type of shape we're taking. You can start to see that we're taking the shape of Christ. So since Christ is the foundation, everything that's built on the foundation takes his shape. And you see this all around Auburn. There's so much construction going up. You see the foundation for a, for a building and you see the, the pattern that, that's set, and you see that the, that the shape of the building is going to reflect what that foundation looks like. And so we take his pattern, we take, but we have to ask the question, what is, is his pattern? What is that foundation like? And our pattern, our foundation is a crucified Messiah who died for his enemies. That's what shape we're taking. He is the Lord of all, yet he became a servant. He took the form of a servant. That's the pattern we're taking. That's the shape we're taking. That's because that's the foundation we're connected to and resting on. And so here is an implicit warning with this picture as well, is that we're to stay on the foundation. We're not to build off-site and off the foundation because that's, everything there is unstable. So yes, we're growing, we're progressing, but we grow in a way that's consistent with our beginning, that's consistent with our foundation. Third, he says, 
He uses another picture. He says, walk in him established in the faith just as you were taught. This, very briefly, is just a a picture of, of steadiness. The walk of faith is that we are ever seeking to grow more secure in the gospel. We're ever pressing on to know Christ more deeply. Okay, the fourth picture. I love this one. We're to walk in him overflowing, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul says that walking in Christ means ever overflowing with thanks. You see that it's all of grace. Everything's a gift. You're no longer under God's condemnation, but you're under his grace. You're in grace like a fish is in water. Everything that comes your way has been filtered through his grace. And one commentator said, to be bursting with thankfulness is a true witness of the Spirit's work within us. So the hallmark of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you'd be overflowing with thanks. Now, this is something we're all called to and not just something we do when we feel like it. There really are many times when your heart is going to be like that grocery cart, pulling hard to the left. You don't want to go where Jesus is directing you. You don't want to grow in your rootedness. You don't want to grow in your thanksgiving. So what do you do? I would suggest that we apply the same policy that I have whenever someone offers me a piece of gum. I always take it because there's a chance that they're just offering out of kindness. They open a piece of gum. They want me to have one. But there's probably a chance that this is like southern kindness of, hey, your breath stinks. You might, <laughs> might need this. So I always take it for that reason. If it's not the case, my breath didn't stink, well, it, it smells even better now. So thanks. Um, but always, it's the same with Thanksgiving. Always take the prompt to give thanks. Always take the prompt to give thanks, no matter how it comes. Maybe you detect yourself becoming grumpy, frustrated, or even you just recognize you're in a great mood. Whatever it is, always take the prompt to give thanks. It's, it's putting your heart in, in its proper place. It's safeguarding you from pride, from bitterness, and it's getting you marveling at God's mercy again. So those are the four metaphors Paul puts before us, and and we can use this as a kind of test for all of us this morning. So are you walking in Christ by grace through faith? Well, let's run through the metaphors. Are you fixed and rooted in Christ, or are you looking to another source for growth? Are you being built up on his foundation and taking the shape of your Savior, or is your life being patterned by something else? Are you, overflow, are, are you established in the faith or are you just bored with it? Are you overflowing in thanksgiving or are you marked by pride, by bitterness, by comparison? And, you know, if we're honest, we all fail these tests. We all fail at walking perfectly in step with Christ our Lord. And so that's why we come to our third point. We need to know where to look. Where do we get the strength to keep fighting when our heart pulls hard to the left? In this section, in this last section we'll look at, Paul mentions eight times this phrase, in him, with him, in Christ, in the original Greek. He's say, it's, it's like he's saying, this is your status. You are in Christ. See that you are united 
with him. See yourself the way God sees you in Christ. Count yourself the way God counts you in Christ. And live in harmony with your union with Christ. So here, Paul doubles down on this opportunity to press this truth more deeply into our hearts. He wants, us, he wants to awaken our imaginations, to shake us out of our boredom, that we might grasp more the realities of being in, in union with Christ. And so to, to close out our time, we're going to look at the three Fs. Um, and I'm not that smart. Um, a commentator came up with this, so give credit to him. Um, it's your fullness in Christ, your fellowship with Christ, and your freedom through Christ. First, our fullness in Christ. Look again at verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So false teachers are calling you away from Christ to something else for fullness. But if Christ, the, the whole, but if in Christ the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you are filled in him, you have everything. You have Christ, and therefore, you have it all. You're filled with him who is the fullness of God. I love that one commentator put it this way, to be in Christ is to occupy the richest position that can be ours this side of heaven. So if you have Christ, that means you have every spiritual blessing in him. You, you have been declared righteous before God the Father. You have a place that's being prepared for you by Jesus Christ himself right now, being prepared for you in glory. You're the richest person on earth, so live like it. Why go spiritually hungry when you have the bread of life? Why go spiritually thirsty when you have the fountain of living waters? You, you have Christ. You're rich. Go to him. Be filled in him. So that's our, our fullness in Christ. Now Paul points us, secondly, to our fellowship with Christ. Look with me in verses 11 and 12. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made with, without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul wants us to see that we are so united with Christ, that Christ so identified with us in all that he did that it is right for us to say, what happened to Christ happened to me. What happened to Christ happened to me. But Paul's talk about circumcision might cause us all to scratch our heads here and like, what, what on earth is he talking about? So let me explain. First, Paul was probably refuting a strand of the false teaching that suggested that for God to love you more, for God to like you more, you really need to be circumcised according to the old covenant code. But did you hear that lie? It's, it's saying, do this thing, and you'll have a special status. And Paul won't tolerate it. He basically reasons, if you really understand your union with Christ, you know that Christ has fulfilled everything that circumcision pointed to, so that he can say that you have already been circumcised with Christ. Yeah, a circumcision that's made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh. 
As you see, circumcision was an old covenant sign originally given to Abraham in Genesis 17 to physically mark out God's faithfulness to his promise to give Abraham an offspring. And through that offspring, the world would be saved. And so the physical ordeal of cutting away flesh signified the call to put your sinful ways to death and to walk in wholehearted obedience to God as you looked to his promise. And so it was never about the physical ordeal because God throughout the Old Testament is always saying, he's always calling his people to a circumcision of the heart that our old sinful ways might be cut off and put to death and that our hearts might be committed to him above all things. And so when Christ says, in him also you were circumcised, he's saying that on the cross, Jesus took on our sin. Jesus shed his blood. Jesus was cut off for our sake. Why? So that we might be brought back into the family of God. That the promise of Abraham might come to everyone. That, that he would be the savior of the world. And it was by his being cut off on the cross. So in Christ you have put off the body of flesh. You have died to your sin in him. That's what Paul's getting at. And Paul goes further and picks up on baptism, which illustrates the same thing. And he says, you've been buried with him, and you've been raised with him through faith. He's pointing again to our fellowship with Christ. All that Christ did counts for me. And so finally, we've, we've looked at our fullness in Christ, our fellowship with Christ. Now let's look at our freedom through Christ. This is in verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and, trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities by, and, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Paul here is just simply overwhelming us with all the goodness that flows from Christ. God has forgiven us all our trespasses, he says. That's an amazing statement. Just think about it. Every impure thought, word, or action in your life, every time you didn't love God with all your heart or love your neighbor as yourself, every debt you ever incurred against God's perfect law, he has forgiven he has absorbed the cost and satisfied the law's demands by payment of his own blood, his own innocent blood. And he canceled the record of debt that stood against us, it says, nailing it to the cross. And so commentators about that phrase note that Paul is probably referring to the common practice in Roman crucifixion where the summary of charges against the person being crucified was nailed to the cross above their head to show everyone the reason why that person was suffering the punishment of death. So what's Paul doing here? Why, why does he state it that way? Paul is inviting us to imagine our record of debt, your record of debt being nailed to the cross above Jesus' head. And so what's the summary of charges that stand against you? 
What's the thing that when your head hits the pillow at night, you know, this sin or, or this sin struggle condemns you with the loudest voice? What is it? Whatever it is, Paul is inviting you to see it nailed to the cross above the Son of God's head as he, as he is dying for you. Because the more you realize that, that that's where your sin was put, the more guilt, your guilt and your shame loses its power over you. Well, there's one more freedom to appreciate in this last verse. In nailing our sin to the cross, God was also doing something else in Jesus that's simply amazing. He was disarming the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame. What's that mean? It means that the cross has stripped our demon, the demonic enemies that are against us. It stripped them, disarmed them of their most powerful weapon. That is unforgiven sin. You see, Satan comes to us first as our tempter. He's luring us to sin with lies and false promises. Yet after we sin, he becomes our accuser. He, he says before you know, the throne of God, you are, you're a wretched sinner. How could anyone love you? God's justice demands your punishment. You're lost. You're worthless. You're an embarrassment. But the cross has disarmed them of this weapon. Because as Jesus took his last breath, he gave a shout of victory. It is finished. And yeah, think about it. To the evil, angelic world, that must have been a very confusing cry to hear. Finished? Finished what? And the answer is, he's paid it all. He's paid all our sin. He's forgiven it. He's canceled the record of debt. He's done it. It's over. He won. All the while, the evil powers would have been thinking that they walked away with the greatest victory. The Son of God has died. But no, in reality, it was their defeat. They could not fathom. The evil powers could not fathom that the Son of God would so love you, a shameful sinner, that he'd so identify himself with you and take on your sin and take on your shame and take on your death. They couldn't fathom it. They couldn't fathom that he would be that loving, that gracious, that good. And so do you see that truth for yourself this morning? This wonderful, unfathomable truth that he really, this really has happened for you. He really has loved you. And what soul can see that and not sing? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? So now, because Jesus has disarmed them and put them to open shame, the forces of evil can no longer bring any charge against you. That weapon is taken out of their hand. No accusation can stick to you. So if you ever hear that voice of condemnation rise up against you, whether it's from outside of you or whether it's from inside of you, look to the cross and remember this song that we sing so often here. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, where do I look? Upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Here is where we look 
again and again for the strength to walk in Christ. Dear friends, walk the same way you started, by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray now that you would help us to know and cherish all the more the love and work of your son, Jesus Christ, who has united himself to us. Help us to sink our roots deeper in your love that we might be built up and overflowing with thanks. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.